So now we're back with the third episode of Norwegian On Air. And this podcast is hosted by Investor Relations Officer Stine Klund and Head of Internal Communications Helena Løken. In this episode we will focus on route development and we will therefore welcome Vice President of Network Strategy Matthew Wood. We've gone into these markets and we've stimulated a whole new section of travel with a lower cost base and you're going after such a big market that you you're sort of causing people to to travel more often. So before we welcome Matt, let's take the listeners through the latest news in our universe and there's some news from Argentina. We're really, really happy that we've been granted all the necessary uh, permissions to bring Norwegian to Argentina. So we finally got our operating license uh, for from the Argentinian government, uh, which recognizes Norwegian as a commercial airline. So what's the next step now? Well, really now it's, it's speed up the recruitment process and making everything ready for uh, ticket sales, as the plan is to start operation uh, this year. Uh, for the domestic market and uh, just a reminder to the listeners uh, we've been granted 152 routes uh, 72 being domestic and 80 being international but but of course uh, this will be a gradual uh, expansion exciting times but it's not quite home in uh, in the nordics either no i mean we we just announced uh, an interlining agreement with the norwegian regional carrier vidra and it, it First step, it covers the public service obligation routes in Norway and Norwegian's domestic route. So it's really all about focusing on offering our customers affordable fares and and, and, and more choice. Mm. And we are also approaching the Q4 reporting that will take place next Thursday on the 15th of February. Yeah, are there some important things to note on that, Stina? I would like to remind everyone the presentation will be held here in our new headquarters in uh, Our interim headquarters, yeah. Yeah, it is. So we uh, so we will not be at Felix at Akebrygge, but in Snarøvei in 36. So uh, for those who want to attend the presentation, please register by email to investor.relations at Norwegian.com. Will there be a webcast as well? Yeah, it will be the same the same procedure as last quarter. Okay, so we're now here with uh, Matthew Wood. Just to start off with the dummies uh, question, how do you really start assessing possible new destinations? Um, well, it's quite a technical uh, technical piece. We've got loads of data that we that we have in the uh, in the organisation, and you, you essentially start looking at where people are travelling. Um, you have data showing how people get from one point to the other point, how much they pay, and you're looking for you're looking for routes where people are either paying a lot of money, which is you know where we think we can come in and undercut and stimulate competition, or you're looking for routes where a lot of people are having to fly via other points. So a great example would be um, Paris Denver, for example, which is a route we launched recently. There was no direct flight to Denver, and there are about a hundred thousand passengers a year flying that route but they're all going via other points. They're either flying via London or they're flying via somewhere in the US. Um, so yeah, you're just looking for opportunities where you think you can you can go in and, and open a new market with low affairs, really. But Norwegian has more than 150 routes. So how do you work with the combination of routes or slings? Um, that you, you, you're kind of looking for... Um, for, for how you can use your entire network to to find route choices that make sense. So uh, we often get asked a lot, um, you know, why is it that London or Paris have got so many long-haul routes to the US? When when will Oslo or Stockholm get a direct route to, say, Denver, Seattle or Austin? But obviously because some of the Nordics are smaller markets, we know it, we will struggle to have a, 
a direct flight from, from those markets. So instead, what we do is we use our short haul connections into London for that particular route to, to connect really well. So yeah, we, we look at our, our whole network when we build our, our new route choices and try and make sure that we can connect from, from all parts of the Norwegian network. As a low-cost carrier, we're more of a point-to-point uh, type of, of carrier than the more traditional flag carriers uh, using the so- so-called hub-and-spoke system. Could you elaborate a bit on that? Yeah, we though we do look at connections, so you know we're we're trying to find markets that are big enough we, where we can use connections as well. The the preference on a lot of our routes is is to try and find big markets that have room to grow. So we don't necessarily want to go after somewhere some of these smaller cities that need you know, 30, 40 air, uh, short-haul routes to connect to it. We're looking for really big markets where fares have been kept quite high and where you can stimulate new, really new, complete new traffic. So if you look at routes like London, New York, where we now serve twice a day, or even the new max routes like Dublin, New York, what's happened is we've gone into these markets and we've stimulated a whole new section of, of traveller with a lower cost base. And you're going after such a big market that you're, you're sort of causing people to, to travel more often. So, for example, I met a few people on our Dublin Stewart routes that we're doing who are just literally going to New York for a long weekend because it's, it's now cheap and accessible. And I think a lot of our long-haul routes have done that. You've gone into really big markets where the flag carriers have kept fares really high because that's what's in their interest. And we instead have given them another option. And I always like to use the example of the, the, the London-New York sector because I used to work at Gatwick Airport. And when we worked there... There were 700,000 people a year driving past Gatwick every single year to go to Heathrow to fly to New York. And for three years, I kept trying to convince airlines like British Airways to add a London Gatwick New York service. And every year they said, we'll never, ever do that because we make too much money in Mm -hmm. Heathrow and it's not in their interest. Yet, lo and behold, when Norwegian entered the market... Gatwick, you know, now we have a, a British Airways London Gatwick service as well because they're all having to come to try and protect their piece of the pie. But ultimately what we're doing is just giving consumers what they what they want, cheap airfares. So basically you're building market share? Yeah. But we have been talking a lot about uh, how the new aircraft types create more opportunities. Well, how do you think about that? Now with both the MAX and, and the A321LR that's arriving next year? Yes. Uh, yeah, we got six six of them coming next year, I think. They, yeah, or eight. Or, or eight, yeah, eight. Yeah, eight. Oh, yeah, it's a lot. <laughs> I know that. Um, yeah, I, I think the new aircraft, you're seeing a lot of competitors do it. You see people like Primera Air in the UK have just launched um, um, direct flights to the US, and they've also launched from Paris. So what it does, it gives you the ability to fly much lower cost flights uh, on longer sectors. And I think... We, we definitely have identified and started a whole new market with the MAX where you start doing the low-cost transatlantic, which is a very different segment, I think, to our Dreamliner segment. It's a real price-sensitive, price-led product. But with the A321, I think we've seen loads of options that we could uh, we could look into. I think we particularly like the idea of expanding east from, uh, from the Nordics because it's a great opportunity to look into India, Pakistan, that whole, that whole region that could connect to North America. And then also using them to fly more, I'd call them um, thinner routes into the US. So a great example would be Prague, Budapest, um, Marseille, Nice, those kind of secondary cities in Europe to places like JFK. And again, I think if you look at those cities, no one has flights there. Generally, what will happen is you'll have a flight just for the summer period because it's quite a big risk to put a, a large aircraft on those markets. But these new 
narrow body aircraft will allow us to try complete new markets where, where there's no one there before and because of the cost base you'll be able to do it really competitively it's quite exciting actually you really can't wait to to get them in the in the fleet how do you think about going east west versus going south north i think uh, east west is i mean a real interesting concept we have um we have airlines like finnair that have generally just you know made their business model through connecting the east to western europe and the us the main challenge i think we've had with going east is that you have these the, the middle east carriers who put such large aircraft on so Emirates, you know, A380 to A380 in some cases, that it's really hard not only to compete on a, a, a product size, but it's also quite hard to compete profitably because they, they, they offer such low fares, it's quite a competitive market, which is why we've been spending more time, I think, looking at West at the moment, direct. But I think what you're seeing with some of the some of the things happening, especially with the, the, the US challenges to some of the Middle East traffic rights, I think going east will become more of a focus, especially with these new aircraft coming. But having a, a, a global ambition, I mean, you know, you basically have the globe to play with when you look at possible destinations, even though you mentioned a lot of technology goes into it as well. What other types of you, sort of uh, obstacles do you have to look at or opportunities in terms of traffic rights and overflight rights? Could you also expand a bit on the complexity of, of you know, when you spin the globe and find a destination. And throw the dart at the <laughs> <Yeah>. people. <laughs> no, it really, I mean, it's, uh, it's something that a lot of people don't understand and it's quite quite a technical area. Back in the back in the days when airlines were owned by governments, they were sort of used as bargaining chips. So you'd have a situation where one airline, with one government would say, I will let that airline fly for your country if you let my airline fly. Um, and they'd limit how many frequencies, and this is a, something that's stayed in place really even to today's day you know the modern day you still have these restrictions where you're only allowed to fly a certain amount of frequencies on long haul from one point to another so the US is no problem we have a, an open skies EU open skies we can fly from anywhere in Europe to anywhere in the US it's perfect going east is a lot more uh, challenging especially with Russia because to go east you have to fly over Russia or you have to make a very big detour um, and they restrict how many airlines are allowed to fly over their territory and you also have to pay so every airline that flies over Russia has to pay for traffic rights so I think a lot of people don't understand the way Norwegian's set up and there's a lot of unfair um, unfair things in the press about our multiple AOC but we actually have a, a very unique model that I don't think anybody else has which is whereas an airline like Air France may just fly from Paris to somewhere we try and connect the whole world and to do that we need multiple different airline operating certificates or airline companies in different countries to get traffic rights from those countries um, so it can be very challenging but we have a, a great team uh, doing the traffic rights um, in the network team and they, they, they're, they're really good at going out there and trying to, to convince and discuss with governments and let them know what benefit there is in letting Norwegian grow in, in their markets. So, so, so to build on that and as you're a Brit as well, how does sort of Brexit also play into this as we have a UK uh, operating licence or AOC as we like to say internally? We've been very lucky with, I mean, not lucky with Brexit, <laughs> uh, but I think we're, we're fortunate, we're in a very good place with Brexit coming. If you look at other airlines, so EasyJet, you know, they're setting up a, a, a European AOC. 
in Austria, I think. Um, you've got Ryanair who are looking to set one up somewhere in a UK AOC. So we're, we've already been ahead of the pack in some ways because we already had our UK AOC. So they're bas- basically setting up the hedge against... Yeah, uh, so they're having to set up multiple AOCs to be able to fly into the UK and then making sure they have a UK AOC to get traffic rights to fly out. Whereas we, we already have that in place because we have a UK AOC. Which is why you see a lot of, I mean, generally the UK government have been very supportive of Norwegian. So it's one of the reasons that you, you have seen us grow quicker in the UK because they sort of encourage competition a lot. So it's been a lot easier for us to get access, for example, to London, Buenos Aires, London, Singapore, than it would from some of our, our European um, our European neighbours. But I think that we'll begin to see that change. So we're definitely looking more now to, to Europe for some of our growth. Mm. And we also have the ownership structure in place as well regarding um, Brexit. Yes, yeah, we mm. have a, a very good ownership control, and we, we, mm. it's it's you know we've got a great office in the UK and a great team there now. Mm. But other than Brexit, do you see any other effects from the changes in protectionism the last few years? I think I've been quite surprised at how some of the other carriers out there have been responding to us, especially in the US. I think I've been very, uh, I've been quite surprised at how airlines will change schedules, will try and prevent us from growing in certain markets. Um, yet, you know, it's 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 ultimately they, we're just lowering fares and we're good for the consumer. So you have seen quite a lot of protectionism out there, but I think that's beginning to change because you're seeing. You know, the the low-cost model, I think, especially low-cost long-haul, was not a proven product until Norwegians started developing it. And now you've suddenly seen, you know, IAG developing level. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of these other airlines that have suddenly sat up and taken notice of us. And now a lot of people are putting energy into developing models like us. So, yeah, I think it's it's good because it proves that we're... And we're not scared of competition, I think. All we ask for is to be treated the same as everyone else. But we get a lot of questions from investors about how can Norwegian do low-cost long-haul? What's different now from earlier attempts? I think, well, I think one of the main things is aircraft technology. It's, it comes down to the brand new aircraft. Once you've got those aircraft, they can fly further and they're a lot cheaper. So you're able to actually stimulate lower fares. I think next you've also got, I also personally think that the whole uh, marketplace has changed where people are not linked or limited to airlines now so you've got people going on things like kayak skyscanner they're not as sensitive as I think they once were um, and all you're doing is you're giving you know you're giving the, the passengers a choice you don't you're making sure you don't have these crazy old rules like Saturday night stay where you have to stay overnight or you know like some of the flag carriers where you have to book a return trip if you don't book a return trip the price goes up 400% so I think you're able to do it because you have new new aircraft technology and because I don't think, I think you've got a, a way to distribute that's a lot easier now because people are so used to using technology to, to buy their flight. Well, you know, from all our colleagues, uh, I think one of the most debated things is, is the potential new destinations we're going to fly to. Uh, yeah, and it's yeah. uh, highly debated <laughs> on our uh, intranet. And we have quite a few questions from, from colleagues as well. And, and one is asking, what about West Africa? Say Accra, Abuja, Lagos? It, it would be on, I mean, we've looked at it, and it is a, an option, I think, going forward. Again, when we're talking about one of those things that we talked about earlier, traffic rights, that's probably one of the most, uh, it's quite a challenging, it's quite a challenging market to get access to. And I think we haven't really embarked on Africa massively yet, because you, you need to decide which, you know, which point is best to access it from, whether it be France, Italy, or Spain, I think are the main big diaspora flows. 
but yeah, it's on the list. I think it's just that we've had other other opportunities bef- beforehand. And what about the Hawaiian market? Is that on the radar? Or, I, uh, I get asked that literally every single week. <laughs> people ask me about Hawaii, and I think I think the main thing with Hawaii is it's it's just such a long route. I mean, it's so far, uh, and generally you find people don't pay progressively more for longer sectors. And even if they did, I think one of the big problems we have is we like two-way traffic. We, you know, if you look at which routes are really successful for us, it's ones where we have people from both sides of the route wanting to, to buy tickets. Mm. Um, Hawaii is very much a, an outbound leisure market. But I think one of the things that we, you know, I, and I love, I love the comments we get on our on the on Red Nose, and the more that people can suggest things, we do look at it. We one of the team does read through it, and I think one of the things we don't want to forget is that you know we could got all this data. But ultimately, the point is you're just trying to find why does someone want to go from there to there. So it's really, really important that people give us feedback of why they think people want to go from different places. Yeah. We, we, we will listen, I promise. There we may not respond to anything, <laughs> but we'll listen. There are more input. Uh, you, you mentioned it, uh, you know, when we talked earlier about uh, different possible uh, destinations. But what about India? I mean, India is definitely interesting. It's got a very underdeveloped international market. Especially with Air India, they're, they're, I think they're not the, the not the most um, glamorous of international airlines. Uh, so there's opportunities there. But one of the main things, like I said before, that's been stopping us has been the Middle East carriers generally offer very very low fares to India. And if we were having a, a dreamliner, say from London or Paris, there's more opportunities to bigger markets. However, I think going forward, we definitely see an opportunity to connect India to North America. And that sort of thing would be really would be of interest out of somewhere like Oslo, Stockholm, and you also have a reasonably good what you call VFR market, which is visiting friends and family. Mm. If you can get that that low cost flights in, you can convince people to travel more. So that's that's on the radar for 19 and 20 definitely. But that's the market you could reach from the Nordics with a new A321 LR, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. Well, in theory, we're still working with okay. Airbus on exactly what the. Um, on what the distances are but yeah that would be the perfect kind of aircraft that could that could do that so that's on our shortlist south africa is also often mentioned by colleagues yeah that's that's one that literally <laughs> when i go to the uk office every single day someone says why can't we fly to cape town and i think the the one with that is that at the moment the south africans will not recognize norwegian um so we we've tried with the uk and we've tried with europe and, and they're not willing to give us the rights to fly into in South Africa, primarily because I think they're they're wanting to protect South African. But I think we are working with them, and I think it's just for us to try and convince them that we can stimulate new tourism flows to their markets. So it's definitely on the radar, and I think if we could get overcome those regulatory challenges, we'd, we'd, we'd be there. It was very interesting talking to you, Yeah, Matt. it's been very good fun. Thank you for taking you. the time. I think really the traffic rights shows how... Uh, it's been a highly regulated industry and in many ways it's it's definitely still not an open sky. And it was definitely interesting to talk to Matt but now we only had 15 minutes so for those of you who are interested in learning more about traffic rights we have a quite good link from the World Trade Organization that we will uh, attach to this podcast. Yeah and there you can really you can actually put in um, different uh, countries and see what type of bilateral agreements they have Mm. or uh, what type of uh, agreements uh, for traffic rights. So check that out. So and that concludes this uh, episode. Yeah. Uh, Talk to you next month. Yeah. And Mm. and remember, please send in questions to investors.relations at 
uh, norwegian.com and you know any feedback is welcome thank you so much for listening Thank you.